1: Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, you ready to talk about the end of the world? I am ready to
2: talk about the apocalypse. We've we've got a show for you tonight. It is it is time to talk about where the Bears really are, if you're looking at it from an outside perspective, not a Bears fan perspective, and what probably should be done about that. We'll talk about some options um and see whether you folks agree or not but uh we're gonna say what we think because it's it's time it is well time so i don't know i'm i'm happy sad about it i'm happy that we're gonna be honest about it i'm sad about what we're probably gonna have to say
1: yeah it's uh it's the end of the world as we know it and i feel fine i think those lyrics are applicable here because I'm already dead inside. I was dead inside before that Packers game started, so I felt no pain. It was it was exactly pretty much what I expected that game to look like, so I, I was fine. I was already prepared for it. But we will not talk a lot about that game. We are going to talk about what we think could happen, what we think should happen, maybe, <laughs> unfortunately, Uh, some paths that may happen unfortunately even though we don't think that's the right way to go we'll talk about that a little bit too but to get us through that we got some beers that we're going to bring on and why don't you start us off
2: yeah absolutely i have uh the south porter which is a great name because it's made right near Southport, maine by booth bay craft brewery this is a 16 ounce can 6.5 by volume it is a handcrafted vanilla porter unfiltered um It's quite delicious. I've had it before. This is my uh, last one from the six pack that my wife brought back. says brewed with caramel and chocolate malts give it a sweetness and body then we dosed it with house-made vanilla from madagascar vanilla beans giving it beer it's coastal trader spice flavor and i'm really good right up to the second to last word there i i, I fear anything with beer that says spice especially around the holidays but having had this uh, there are very few spice nuts so
1: i'm okay what do you have Well, I mentioned last week that I think Michigan makes excellent stouts. And, of course, stout is my favorite style of beer. And the Bears are playing the team from Michigan this coming weekend. And so I decided to bring on a beer from my favorite brewery, which is Founders. I have brought on a couple of different Founders brews in the past. This one is a new one to me. This is the first time I'll be drinking it. It is called Big Luscious, which is stout brewed with chocolate and raspberries. Whoa. So in the wheelhouse.
2: I was gonna say this is like a holiday Starbucks coffee. It's got chocolate and raspberry.
1: You put a little whipped cream on the top of that thing, and you are sailing. I'm I am totally okay with uh, drinking dessert coffee too. So you don't don't make fun of those drinks. Uh, I, no, I'm
2: not. I I love doctoring up a good cup of coffee and you know putting a little Irish whiskey in it and and calling it a day. That's good stuff. Um, you know homemade speedballs. But uh, for now. Uh it's funny because it's almost a little sad because typically we would be celebrating Mitch versus the Lions because he has been a lion killer. He has absolutely drubbed Detroit like almost no other team because of their insistence that they play man and his ability to read that defense much better than any kind of disguised zone or or sort of hybrid quarters um but here we are, staring down a Lions game. Matt Patricia's been fired, so that may not be the case anymore. They might actually vary their defensive coverage. In fact, if they go back and watch tape of Mitch, they absolutely will vary their defensive coverage. So um feels a little bit less celebratory, but I think it has a lot less to do with the Lions and a lot more to do with where the
1: Bears really are. Yeah, I think Daryl Bevel, the interim head coach of the Lions and their offensive coordinator, probably going to walk into the defensive meeting room and just be like, Whatever you do, don't do what Matt Patricia has been doing the last couple of years because right. that doesn't work. That um, would have been a, a fascinating end to the Matt Patricia era had he lasted another ten days and and had to go against uh, his his arch nemesis <laughs> Mitchell Shropsky one last time. Uh, but that is not that is not the case. So we, we'll we'll see about that game. Uh, you know, it does have it does matter. You know, history always matters, right? You you want to win these games against your division opponents. You want to win these games just because you're a Bears fan. And, of course, there's always that voice inside of you that's saying, well, if we don't win, it's kind of okay because maybe we get better draft positions. So we're, you know, talk about that dichotomy and all that kind of stuff that goes on as a Bears fan. But let's start with, well, I want to start with the title of this Google Doc that you sent me around 4 o'clock. And it just said, burn it all down. And I thought, oh, all right, we're, we're doing this. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yep, it's time. We're doing this. Uh, there is enough fuel for this fire. I was, I don't want to say secretly because I talked about it on podcasts and that makes it absolutely not a secret by definition. But uh, I had this feeling before the trade deadline now i'm also a rational human being and a football analyst i know there are things that are not going to occur when you're sitting at five and one you're not gonna blow up the ship especially if you want to keep your job as a general manager or a coach you're not going to trade away some of your most valuable pieces but the trade deadline was a place where the bears could have uh made some progress in getting towards being a football team that they want to be constructed in a way that is sustainable and, and can win football games because that's the that's the ruler, that's the measuring stick in the NFL is is wins. And the Bears um had a bunch and they not probably gonna get a lot more this year. And I saw that writing on the wall. I thought their record was very much fool's gold and that the upcoming schedule was going to expose them and we would be sitting largely where we are. I thought there might be one more win in there than there has been, and now you're stuck. You're past the trade deadline. Nothing's really gonna move until the end of the season. You're really literally playing out the string at this point, and you can be as hopeful as you'd like as a Bears fan, but your options to change the team at this point are extremely limited. I realize why it didn't happen then or couldn't happen then, it probably should have happened then, um, you know, with hindsight. But I was ready then, and at this point, after the Packers drubbing, national TV uh, complete inability to even compete—not not to win the game, n- no feeric victories, no no moral victories, like none. They just got drubbed to the point where ownership called the GM and the coach into the office and called them on the carpet the coach called all the assistant coaches and players on the carpet. Like this is the cracks are now showing and the bears are still in the same spot and they have a lot less options. So we're going to talk about that, but I'm at the point where I think if you're a rational analyst of, of football and team construction, you look at this team and you go, that's it. It's over. They loaded up. They took their shot. It didn't work. This is a fundamentally flawed club It's not one piece away or one unit's fault or anything else. This is ready to be burned down. They need to reset and start over.
1: Yeah, I was on a podcast uh, before the the Giants game, Ed Valentine, over at Big Blue Review, uh, Big Blue View, whatever that's called, over there for the Giants. He had me on his podcast for a, a quick hitter segment. And he asked me, you know, well, what's going on with this Bears team, and and I said, you know, it's really on a knife's edge, and it could have gone either way. Obviously, it was a fun comeback against the Lions at Week One, but I think we all felt at the beginning just how many things had to go right for this club for it to be a real contender, and when you're sitting at five and one, I, you know, I think our sentiment here was, let's just enjoy this, like. I know that we all kind of want to panic and burn it all down, but like maybe they get away with it. You know, the the greatest trick the devil <laughs> pulled was convincing people he didn't exist, right? And this is like uh, yeah, maybe the greatest trick Ryan Pace pulled is to get away with this off and to make some of these things work. It didn't happen. The Bears have lost five straight. You know, they they've sunk this uh, season into the ocean, and you know, as much as a lot of Bear fans want to pencil in this team for five and eleven. I think you have to look at the schedule softening up a little bit down the stretch. And so it's it's hard for me to see 5-11. and 11. I, It could absolutely happen because of what transpired on Sunday night against your rival on national television where you got embarrassed. And I think Matt Nagy's reaction to that by coming out and kind of calling out the defense, I'm not sure what kind of – Cachet he has in the locker room to be able to call out a defense that has been carrying his offense for two and a half years that might blow up in his face. And I'm a guy that has defended Matt Nagy's leadership from the moment that he's gotten here and said, "I think this guy has it." That was a very interesting decision, and I'm not sure that that's going to work for him. Uh, But I do think that there's still a lot of talent, particularly on the defense in this team, and so there are other teams that are less talented than this Bears club, and so that are remaining on this schedule. And so I do think there's a couple wins in that schedule left for the Bears. One of them could be this weekend, a very banged-up Lions team that has obviously just gone through an organizational change. You've got the Texans. You've got the Jaguars. Um, Texans are beat up. Jaguars want to lose. So there's three games right there that that are pretty winnable, and you've got a Week 17 game against the Packers that they may choose to sit Lot of their starters, and so I don't think that you can pencil in a 5 and 11 finish. The Bears might drift their way towards that 500 mark, or maybe finish. I'm thinking 7 and 9 is probably the most likely scenario. But if you were to ask me to sum up, you know, what happened here, what is going on in the current status of the Bears, you would say the GM pushed all the chips into the middle of the table for 2020, it didn't work. The bill's coming due in 2021, and so now if you look at this team, ownership has a decision to make on whether or not they move away from Ryan Pace, the general manager, who has one year remaining on his contract. They need to make a decision to move on or not from Matt Nagy, who has two years remaining on his deal. You do not have a viable solution at the most important position, quarterback, and your best player on offense, Allen Robinson, is his contract is expiring and you don't have enough money to sign him at this point because you have big salary cap problems. Yeah. That's the rational analysis of where this
2: team sits. And there's, we should be clear. You said something that resonates with me and I think it'll resonate with listeners as well. We are not saying that the bears are an untalented football team or that they're not, don't have the ability to win football games. That's not at all true. They have, a very talented core of players but football is a you alluded to it it's the ultimate team game right defense has to support the offense offense has to support the defense you can't make mistakes on special teams and players have to buy into what the coaches are doing and the coaches have to you know tune in and and get with the players and and help them develop like it all has to work all the gears have to mesh The coach has to mesh with the GM about the players he wants to bring in, the style they want to run. All those things have to work in concert, right? This is one big orchestra. And if somebody starts playing out of tune or several people start playing out of tune all over the team and, you know, the conductor's not getting along with the lead violinist and blah, 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 all of a sudden it just sounds like crap. Doesn't mean there's not very talented players in the orchestra. There are. Uh, but the end result is not pretty. And that's what we're seeing is this sort of cacophony out of the Bears. They lack a functional quarterback. Quarterback is the most important position probably in professional sports. They don't have great agreement between their coach and their front office. There have been disagreements between Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy about who to bring in and, and what to emphasize and you know where to push. Uh, and that's never good. They have almost no salary cap to throw at their multiple problems. Again, it's not one problem. If they solve that, they're okay. They have multiple spots where they could use the money or need the money, and they don't have it. They're probably going to have to dump guys in the offseason. So you're looking at a team that has multiple issues and very few ways to fix them, and that's not great. So the point is you have to realize and accept that this is a fundamentally flawed plan, um, and football team, not that it's full of bad players, but as a team, this team is not well constructed and it's not well run right now. That is all the parts aren't working together before you can think about what's next clearly because you can think about it as a fan and say, either I want wins or I don't want wins because I want the draft pick, or I love Matt Nagy and I want him to stay, or, you know, Akeem Hicks is my favorite player. I get all that. But that's not going to help you make good decisions and see clearly about what the Bears need to do to get back to the promised land. And at this point, again, it's not one move or or one fix away from being a really good team. They have multiple issues in multiple places, and none of them are going to be quick fixes. So until you sort of accept that in your heart, it's going to be very hard to hear a lot of the things that we're going to have to say. Um, and they're going to have to make a lot of hard sort of bitter tasting choices, but it's the only way to get to a better place because if they start applying band-aids, pushing money down the road, keeping that popular player a couple of years too long, they're going to be mired in the middle, which is where they've been for a long time, and they're going to continue to be there. They are going to have to sort of fundamentally go at the foundation of this thing and rebuild it from the ground up if they want to ascend, and that's not going to be a fast or pain-free process.
1: No, and I think you mentioned, like, you have to accept it in your heart. And I think that, you know, we'll kind of come back to this concept, but there is what makes sense in your head, and there's what makes sense in your heart, and those two things don't always go together. Obviously, you as a fan, we as fans, we want wins, and we want playoff appearances and hopefully playoff wins, right, and then eventually a Super Bowl win. That would be great if I could have that experience you know, once in my conscious life, but it's it's hard to reconcile those two parts of football analysis, right? Like there are times where it's like, I love this player and it doesn't make any sense for me to see this player go. And then there are times where it's like, well, if I was looking at a different team, I could very easily identify which players based on salary and fit and scheme and whatever that they need to shed from their from their salary cap because that's the smart thing to do. That's the heady thing to do. And so we'll do our best to try to do that, but there's going to be times where I'm going to have some heartache even mentioning some of these players. So know that that's part of what we're going through here, and we understand that that's what you're going through when you're thinking about this stuff too. So, I, I And I just want to mention this one thing. You, you kind of had a note on the Google Doc that you uh, don't think this is an issue, but I'm just mentioning this as a potential as we're going through this. There's a lot of things that happened in 2020 that were pretty crazy. Um, the biggest one is the pandemic. And in a lot of ways, it may provide some level of an excuse for some things to say, hey, it's a weird year. We're going to just kind of run it back and see what happens. That is completely possible. It's also possible that, you know, this does hit a family run Franchise a little bit differently than it would say someone who came in with a different pile of money. I'm sure the McCaskies are doing fine, but I do think that this probably impacted their cash flow a little bit. And I think that we have to at least consider the idea that some of them may balk at the idea of paying out Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy to not work for them in 2021. And so there is a non zero chance that that will impact their decision-making and potentially make a lot of this conversation uh, rather moot. But let's talk about basically the the outcomes that can happen. The first fork in the road that we're going to see here in a few weeks. The first outcome is ownership says we're going to let it ride. 2020 was a tough year. They didn't have a camp. You know, Foles didn't get a chance to really establish uh, you know, who we think he is as a quarterback because, you know, he wasn't given a full camp and all this kind of stuff. And we really like these guys. We we think that they, you know, they they stay tough. They finish strong. Let's say that that happens. So we're just going to run this back in 2021. That's possible. Second outcome, Ryan Pace, because he only has one year left. And with all of the mistakes that he's made, particularly at the quarterback position and fan outrage and, you know, pressure says, okay, Ryan Pace is gone. And they go into the market to find a new GM. That would be option two. Option three, they say we're actually we're gonna sweep Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy out. We're gonna sweep the coaching staff out, and we're gonna start fresh because we wanna go into this with a fresh group of people and a new approach. So that's basically the three outcomes that we're gonna we're gonna talk about.
2: There's a two point five that got introduced to me today and At first, I just threw my head back and laughed and said, no way, and then it caught in my throat, and I thought, oh, God, that would be so bears, which is the opposite of two. Keep pace and Uh, dump Nagy, and uh, you're doing the same thing I did. I was like, no freaking way, and then the explanation went on, and I was like, oh, that's a really twisted way to see it, but... Oh, that would be, and I, to be honest, I actually think that would be the worst case scenario of, of the now four that we've talked about. I don't know that there's, trust me, I don't have any inside sources. I don't know that there's any sort of water or wind behind this one, pushing it along, but somebody brought it up and I immediately went, no way. Oh God. Please no, <laughs> please no, please make that one not happen. Most, um, but it is it is a possibility. I don't think it's a probability. It is a it is a possibility.
1: Yeah, that would rank a distant fourth for me. Oh
2: yeah, I think it's like tenth with like six <laughs> blank spots in the middle. But um, no, it, I, at first I just completely dismissed it, and then they're like, well, you know, and I was like, oh, please tell me that's not the case. I don't think it will happen, but it is a possibility. So it's a, it's a distant, whatever. Um, but we're not going to talk about that option because we don't want to speak it into existence at all. Uh, but it is a possibility.
1: Well, let's, let's go on. So the next thing we're going to talk about is basically you want to put us on record. And I have a question for you as we talk about this are we going sure. on record in predicting what we think will happen or are we going on record to say this is what i would do if i was given control of the team uh for you know this offseason decision making
2: yeah i i that's a great distinction it's one we make with draft stuff all the time right what do you think the team's gonna do or what would you do if you were the gm And I think for the purpose of this, we have to take the second position. What would we do if we were in charge? Because we don't know those dynamics as evidenced by somebody bringing that up and me going, that's not possible. Well, I guess actually it is possible. I don't understand how keeping Ryan Pace would be a good idea, but it is possible. We're not privy to those conversations. We don't know what his relationship to George and Virginia is. Like we don't get that information. So us saying, well, we, you know, we think this is going to happen, um, is pretty empty saying, this is what I think is the best course again, not being privy to those conversations, but saying, I think this is the quickest way back to the promised land or the best way to build a team that can get there is slightly more relevant for us in our position, I
1: think. Yep. Okay. That, that's a good distinction. I wanted to make sure because I think those answers are different, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and oh fully. we can kind of touch on that yeah. uh all right so the first decision point is do, do you believe that you should split the gm job into two different distinct jobs and so maybe it might be useful to give an example of who's doing that right now
2: Sure. So some teams around the NFL, the GM is like Ryan Pace. He is the general manager. There is nobody else. And he runs everything. That means he has final say on whether or not they get new uniforms, uh, stadium renovations, all kinds of stuff are going to go through him. Everything goes across his desk. Now, he might not be the person handling the day to day, But you're not going to make a decision without running it up to the GM at a high enough level because he is in charge of all of it, the whole ball of wax. There are other teams where they have basically the football czar, if it has to do with the product on the field, the players, the contracts, the construction, the coaching, I mean the construction of the team, not like construction of a stadium that is the football czar's job that is the half of the gm and they concentrate solely on football these people tend to come from football from coaching or scouting um and then there is another person that runs all the other stuff. And there is a lot of other stuff, um, on a GM's plate, just like there's a lot of other stuff on a head coach's plate beside coaching a football team. There's all the public appearances and press conferences and whatever else. So that other person would be handling ticket prices and concessions and stadium deals and, uh, you know, travel and logistics and all the other stuff. Um, And, you know, look, it's a huge, huge job. The NFL is a very complex business um, with a lot of moving parts, more so this year than ever. Uh, And it's very hard to find one individual who is equally good at all of those things. They might be a tremendous business person and keep the team in the black. And the team might lose every year. Now, some owners would love that <laughs> because it's probably less expensive. Um, but if you're going to put a good football product on the field and you're concentrating on all those football aspects, you might be not thinking about the bottom line and concessions and parking and where the team plays and all that other stuff. Um, it's hard to find that blended or hybrid skill set. So uh, different teams do it differently. But uh, I posed this question to somebody um who knows a lot more actual football folks than I do. And he actually said no. And I didn't get a chance to bounce back and say, hey, why no? Because my answer would be yes. I would love somebody that is football focused, making football decisions, uh, and being fully accountable for that in terms of making sure that um, that handshake is tight and complete. That the coaching staff, and the front office in terms of the football acquisition, free agents, draft, um, trades, all that stuff is in lockstep, that I am not buying you groceries for, for meals you don't want to make, right? I, that's the worst case scenario for any football team. And the Bears are there a little bit right now. And it shows, right? There is not lockstep agreement between Nagy and Pace. There are disagreements And yes, you move past those professionally, but the best teams, the teams that do this um, most consistently and have for the longest are teams where there are no cracks between coaching and the front side of the football office. These are teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh and uh, Seattle, largely to a point, Um, possibly now Miami and San Francisco are moving into that we're getting the players that fit our coaches needs and systems almost perfectly now everybody's going to make mistakes everybody's going to have misses but you're not going to have those wild overspends for um somebody that you didn't need or want and don't really know how to use um so I would, I think it would aid that concentration. Now I could be naive in that concept, and and there could be you know more discord between them and the business side. I don't know, uh, but I would really like the concentration on the football side to be specialized and get somebody that understands the football side completely.
1: Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to me, and I think that one of the things that I think about when thinking about front offices and coaching staffs is that there's no salary cap on what you pay your front office there's no salary cap on what you pay your coaching staff right that's just all about players and so if you wanted to have a bigger analytics department say there's nothing stopping ownership from doing that if you wanted to hire two people to split up the responsibilities of that job because you felt like it was too much to put on one person You can do that. That is running your business. You can do that however you want. And, you know, in my opinion, I think that if it's too big of a job, and I don't know that we could know that from our positions beyond that, it seems to take Ryan Pace a long time to make some very obvious decisions and player personnel. And I'll point to Ted Ginn not being able to field a punt and – watching that happen for what three full games four games or something some astronomical number that was more than one uh (laughs) and a non-zero number a a, a number that was great okay I'll let you get away with it for one week when you're like oh this guy really can't do this okay I need to be on the horn and I need to get Dwayne Harris in here I need to get whoever, whoever the guys that are on the street that we know can be punt returners those guys need to be in the building you know they, they needed he needed to be on the phone bringing those guys in anyway once Tariq Cohen got hurt and you've seen that a couple times like what was Rashad Coward doing on this roster this year what was he doing in a second start like it was not going to get better it was very clear last year that he wasn't a guy so that was you know that was malpractice in the off season and it, and it was malpractice to not have other guys you know pushing for roster spots once you saw that on film And so if the job's too big because you're trying to deal with all these other things, then that is a very, very good argument for splitting up the job responsibilities.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, And that takes us into, so I I think we're both on record there saying, yes, we would split the job. That takes us into, do we keep Ryan Pace, right? If we're the general manager, do we keep Ryan Pace? And I was a huge Pace defender early in his career. He did a tremendous job early in his Bears career remaking the Bears roster. If you compared the roster at about three years of Ryan Pace's tenure to the roster that he inherited, it was a whole different landscape. There was talent at almost every level comparatively. Um, He'd gotten them into a fairly good salary cap position at that point. He drafted okay, right? The, The knock on Ryan Pace is always that he drafts better in the middle rounds doesn't hit as often as we need to on the higher rounds and look quarterback is always going to be a thing that's always going to follow him around and it's really important it should I mean it's a that's why he gets paid the big money to be a GM Um, but that was early in his career and then there was a middle part of his career where I was like ah, I didn't like that quite as much mm, I'm not sure that I agree with that and then there was this last offseason which was really sort of the breaking point for me with Ryan Pace, where it wasn't just a couple of decisions that went poorly, it was many, and on different levels. Just from a player evaluation standpoint, um, that's one thing. From a what you're gonna pay standpoint for that, a value standpoint, and where you're gonna put your football team cap space-wise with that structure of contract, um, whether or not that player is going to sit on the most powerful unit on your team, the defense, or the, the unit that needs the most help, the offense. So it's about where and what and how. And he missed pretty much every way he could on all of those decisions. He threw a bunch of salary cap um, and front loaded it on guys that he knew uh, and guys like Jonathan Wood who write about this stuff fairly often wrote about this this offseason he said look this is the year this is the window it's not next year there is no next year if this doesn't work this year they're gonna have to blow it up just money wise and he was right and you know then the mishandling of the quarterback situation again you have literally the richest free agent quarterback class in recent memory you have a lot of different options different ways to go for the Bears um you have several of them in for visits most notably teddy bridgewater who was my top choice out of what i thought was reasonable i didn't think tom brady was coming to chicago i didn't think drew Brees was leaving new orleans Um, but of the folks that were most likely actually available teddy was the best choice in my mind and for whatever reason they let him walk and then they get into the bottom of the dregs um And not only do they pick somebody who is, you know, could have been a marginal upgrade over Trubisky, and I thought would be a marginal upgrade over Trubisky and Nick Foles, but they bid against themselves again. They give up a draft pick and they guarantee him a bunch of money. Like that's bad and bad and bad or medium and bad and bad. Um, The Jimmy Graham decision, not a good one. The decision to draft Cole Komet when you have other needs on your football team, not a good one. Right. And it just became the sum total of decisions that I looked at and thought, I just, I don't agree with this guy anymore. Like I, I would be doing this very differently. Whereas in the beginning of his career, I was like, he's, he's definitely making more hits than misses. And he has vastly improved the roster in his first two to three years. That was true. It stopped being true. I don't know if he lost his fastball or, you know, disagreed with Matt Nagy more than we know whatever it was this last offseason pretty much broke me with Ryan Pace so I think Ryan Pace goes
1: this one's a little easier for me as you might imagine we've had we got off to a rough and rocky start with Ryan Pace uh, and myself, not that Ryan Pace knows that, but uh, <laughs> uh, it, it just it, it was off to a you bad don't start. think he read
2: he, all the letters? <laughs> no,
1: nah, he made some decisions that I don't think made a lot of sense. There was a lot of you know uh, you know making a hole and and that you have to fill in yourself. There was a lot of that. It was almost like didn't feel like there was a real plan. It was kind of making a move to make a move, and I didn't like that. I think I have complained about the trade-up for Trubisky many times I didn't agree with Kevin White uh, as the draft pick again that's me not being a scout and not being in love with either one of those guys from the football standpoint but from the type of receivers that I like uh, you know I like an Allen Robinson I like a guy that's a polished wide receiver that can run routes I don't I'm not in love with a guy that really only ran two routes in college that kind of thing right so You know, again, we got off to a rocky start, and then he was starting to hit some good decisions uh, early on, like you mentioned. And so I found myself being like, okay, I have disagreed with a lot of what he's done, but he, the stuff that he has done that I've liked, it's starting to stack up a little bit to the point where I need to open up my mind and believe that he can improve as a GM and he can learn from his mistakes. And the one thing that I worried about was him coming from the New Orleans uh, franchise, because New Orleans has basically not cared about the cap, and has pushed and pushed and pushed on their cap to try to get one more shot for Drew Brees, for a long time. And for a few years, Drew Brees just basically kept them somewhat relevant, and they've had these cycles where you know they go down to be kind of a, a mediocre team. Uh, just because Drew Brees was still very good, and then they would build back up, and they've you know recently they had a couple of good drafts that put them in the contention in the deep team that they are, but they never really managed the cap well, and so that always worried me. And I've always kind of looked at Pace and see what is he doing in terms of managing the cap. But not only does do I not think he manages the cap very well, which we are now in that position. It's taken an, this many years to kind of have that be a very clear red blinking light but he does not really understand he's a he's too much of a swashbuckler in the draft for me he throws around draft picks like they're they don't have meaning and he gets conviction off of getting his guy rather than seeing this as a more strategic standpoint of like i have tiers of players that i i can't be married to one player but i have to have a a couple of different players that I like in those positions. And he never really showed me that he had that. He had the like, no, I'm locked into this guy, and I'm sure that I'm right. And so this is very easy for me that I I do not like Ryan Pace's approach as a general manager, and it has caught up to him very clearly. And you l- let him have one more offseason, he's just going to do more damage. And so for me – It is absolutely time to send Ryan Pace walking.
2: Yeah, at this point, I can't disagree. A couple of years ago, we might have had our – well, we did have back and forths about that. But at this point, again, I think we're in lockstep that I don't – I don't see him doing or undoing a lot of this. It's it's time for somebody to come in and and try and – right the ship again certainly financially and draft pick wise um talent wise is going to be rough because by the time they do that a lot of contracts are going to expire veterans are going to get older again that window is is closing so it's going to be a very very different approach uh with a new gm if they come in all right now we're down to matt Nagy. do we keep matt Nagy? and this we've had a lot of conversations about matt Nagy and and I think Matt Nagy seems like a good guy. Uh, I think he is a good coach in terms of a good leader. Uh, People play for him, and there is something to that. There are dead fish as head coaches, and they just don't go very far. Um, Charisma and ability to connect to your players is a thing, and Nagy is good in that area. Um, Guys want to go to the line for him uh that's not why he was hired that was a bonus right it's a good thing to have it's a great thing to have uh but he was hired because he was going to fix the offense he was coming from the andy reed tree he had experience with doug peterson and andy Reid and all the great coaches in kansas city and he was going to fix the offense and they, i know you've gone back and forth about who said offensive genius i don't really care about the label it's like you know is blank quarterback elite well what's elite is you know is there a set set of statistics that say elite doesn't really matter like he was the he's an offensive guy he was hired to bring chicago's offense into the modern age and oh boy i think this season has shown us extremely clearly that has not happened it doesn't look like it's going to happen. He's given up the play calling duties. It hasn't particularly improved. They parted ways with a bunch of coaches, uh, in the off season to try and fix that. Um, largely those have not been upgrades. We were excited about some of those. Uh-uh. Uh, uh, the, the bottom line is the bottom line and the bears are, roughly 31st in every meaningful offensive statistic with only the jets behind them. And the jets are a whole nother story. The offense is not just not great or not functioning. It's terrible. It's really, really bad. It's even worse than its personnel. And people could say, Oh, the offensive line, it's true. They need more help with the offensive line, but you know, they do have Alan Robinson and David Montgomery and You know, the shell of Jimmy Graham and hopefully, you know, something in Cole Komet. And they got lucky with Daryl Mooney. You know, Darnell Mooney, it's like awesome, sweet. You have some pieces. There are other NFL offenses that often that operate with less pieces. But for whatever reason, Matt Nagy can't run the offense. It's an offensive league. You don't score points. You don't win. And being a leader of men or a sort of great CEO is not enough and again he hasn't found a way to agree with ryan pace and i just don't see it like even if he got everything he wanted and it all lined up perfectly what does that mean his offense is like 20th like maybe 18th at best and the bears would certainly win more games with that kind of offense but are they ever going to be meaningful in the current nfl era with a 20th ranked offense probably not it's going to be better than it is, but it's not going to make a functional difference. So for me, I think you'd sweep completely clean and Nagy goes with pace. And I wouldn't have said that before this season for sure. Uh, even coming into this season, I was still a, a heavy Matt Nagy supporter. I wanted to see what his offense would do with some capable quarterbacking. Um, now, we haven't seen it and its not it hasn't been just rough and there are other teams that have lost tons of players i'm looking at like san francisco and you know and they still come out and beat the rams right with whatever they have left over uh, their third string quarterback you know, george kittle's out they've missed a bunch of running back time and you don't hear an excuse you see them beating los angeles and you don't see that from the bears the bears are 31st across the board and that
1: is not good enough so here's here's how i see this is that we, I think, pretty early said, look, this guy's got the leadership part down, and we like that, but he needs to improve in these other areas. It's clear that he doesn't have all of this figured out yet. And one of the things that bothered me a bit with the offseason shakeup, I know we were excited about Juan Castillo coming in and working with the offensive line, but one of the things that I was a little bit concerned with was the, you know, the throwing the assistant coaches under the bus a little bit and saying like, well, they were responsible for the run game and the run game was terrible. So we're going to switch that up because we need focus on the run game. And I it never sat well with me. I don't know that we've ever talked about it specifically, but do you think that Kyle Shanahan doesn't understand what his run game does for his passing game? Like, Kyle, he, Kyle Shanahan designs one of the best run games in the
2: NFL, so I'm going well, to well, right. I, he gets I know, it. but
1: I know the answer to my yeah. own question, and I picked the uh-huh. one that's the most obvious, right? But the play callers that ha- seem to have the most success understand that those two things marry, and they are not something where, you know, in my head I have Matt Nagy off on one whiteboard drawing up passing plays like he's going into a seven on seven tournament and you know saying hey take care of that running game and i think what you know he said i wasn't brought in to run the eye formation and a lot of people are kind of like well maybe you should if it works and all that kind of stuff no i i don't care what formation but like understanding how to run the offense is different than understanding how to run plays that you like and that's, I think, the distinction here is he might be a nice play designer. We know he doesn't have a very good rhythm as a play caller, but there's some of the plays that he's designed and, and past plays that he's called, they're quite good. They scheme things open. I know that we haven't had a lot of examples of the quarterbacks hitting those with proper mechanics and good timing and all that kind of stuff. That Those are different conversations and those are tougher to pull out and all that kind of stuff. But I've seen play designs that, you know, hey, yeah, that pass play design works, but it's not in the overall system of an offense because it's not married with a running game and it's not married with a play action. How many times have I mentioned play action? But for play action to work, you have to have the blocking that is faking like it's blocking for running. That's married to the running game. Those things have to be working together for a functional offense in 2020, and if you don't understand that if you think your job is to design plays passing plays not even just plays passing plays then you you don't deserve to run an offense in the NFL and being the CEO head coach of you know just built on leadership that's that he hasn't earned that to keep that job or he hasn't found the offensive talent to uh, call the plays and, and hand that over. I mean, Bill Lazor is a fine offensive assistant, but he's not, a, you know, a talented play caller. And so, no, you sweep him out. The And I like Matt Nagy, but there is no reason in modern football to keep an offensive minded head coach who doesn't understand how to develop an offense, if, an offensive system.
2: Now, nah, I fully agree and that leads us right into our next question so uh if you fire Nagy, and we both agreed that he goes do you replace him with an offensive minded head coach or a defensive one and of course there's the other option a special teams coach like dave tube john Harbaugh, famously a special teams coach and has been very successful in baltimore so uh not trying to shun the special teams coaches there's just a lot less of them that are probably in the head coach uh interview ranks and you know again given where the league is and quite frankly where the bears are where their current talent and the talent that they are going to end up with down the road and down the road even being 24 months from now there's still going to be more talented defenders than there are offensive players out of the current stock if you had to stack up talent on the offense versus talent on the defense right now the defense is is heavy on that side of the scale so defense should be if you're talking about jimmies and joes versus x's and o's a little bit better off because they just have more talent stacked up on that side of the ball and the bottom line is if you're going to win in the nfl you have to score points you can't score 16 points a week on average and win a lot of games in the nfl not in the modern nfl even with a very good defense the margin of error is just too small you need an offense that can put up three-ish touchdowns a week on a pretty consistent basis occasionally go for more occasionally gets going for less i get it but you cannot have an offense putting up like 11 points on average throughout a season and expect to come out anywhere decently on the win-loss record so i would replace him with an offensively minded head
1: coach i think that the only way uh, team should hire a defensive-minded head coach is if you have an established top-tier quarterback in place already that that is a veteran who's got an offensive system that they've been running and i'm not even saying that's the good idea i'm just saying i think that that works but you've got a situation where you don't have an established quarterback like like the bears are going into or you're going to you're going to draft a young quarterback that needs to be nurtured and developed into, you know, getting to his potential. You absolutely have to go for offensive-minded coach. And, you know, there are really good defensive coordinators that are out there that would love to work with some of the pieces that are on this defense. That is the easy part to sell this. So, you know, you absolutely go out and you find that offensive-minded head coach. Now, here's where I worry a little bit about the reality of what we're talking about here i have this little theory where i don't know if you have any friends that you know got married didn't work out they got divorced and then jumped right into another relationship and got married really quick i've had this happen a few times where my friend gets married to the exact opposite of what he was married to the first time like the they're so different the 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 new spouse is so different from the first one you're like oh okay you saw something that you really didn't like about that first relationship and now you're jumping into the off the opposite and i think that it's a little bit like that with head coaches in that there's something that just drove you nuts about that head coach or that we got that wrong because of this trait or these this set of traits and so in the next interview we're probably going to lean towards and hire something that's the opposite. A lot of times you see teams flip back and forth between offensive minded head coach and defensive minded head coach. Well, we need you know, we need a defensive guy, whatever. So my question is, what lessons did the Chicago Bears learn from the Matt Nagy hire? And if the lessons that they learned was, well, this was a first time head coach, clearly he wasn't ready, and so we need to hire a retread. That's the wrong lesson. If the lesson was, <laughs> uh, yeah. you, you know what I mean? It, it, I the do, lesson was, especially hey, we had an offensive one. guy, um, that wasn't right, we need to go up defensive guy, that's the wrong lesson. The lesson is you hired an offensive guy that had you know, less than a handful of game experience calling plays. And so even though you went to a tree – an offensive tree, the Andy Reid tree, and said, I really like Andy Reid. I don't know why you didn't hire him when he was on the open market a few years before that, but whatever. Um, I really like the Andy Reid tree. It seems to be the hot thing right now. Let me hire out of that tree. Th- okay, that's that idea is okay, but you didn't think about like what the skill set or what – what the what that person brought. That's the lesson that you should have learned from the Matt Nagy hire was he didn't show you enough in terms of what he can do designing an entire offense and actually play calling for you to be able to commit to him making him the head coach. You you went out on a really narrow limb for, for that to, to happen. It could have happened. He could have had that skill set. He could have learned and gotten better. He didn't. And so the lesson to me that's learned is like, let's go out and we, let's look at these offensive-minded head coaches that has have proven that they understand how to call plays and how to design an offense and how to work with less-than-ideal conditions.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, and it's the same thing we talk about in scouting a lot of times. Like, well, the last time we drafted a defensive back from you know, Wisconsin, it didn't work out. So here's this other great defensive back, but, oh, man, he plays at Wisconsin. It's not going to be good. And the, the phrase is, don't scout the helmet. And I was talking to somebody today, and uh, we were talking about Eric Bienemy because he's going to be a hot coaching candidate in the offseason. He is the offensive coordinator at Kansas City. And Eric Bien-Aimé, uh obviously worked uh, on the same staff with Matt Nagy, but Eric Bienemy has been calling plays <laughs> for the better part of two years. And yes, is his offense uh, more talented? Yes. Uh, his offense is one of the most talented in NFL history in terms of the players he has on it um, the assemblage of offensive talent and you know not to be understated with Pat, Pat Mahomes but the surrounding pieces are also very very good we saw that this last weekend so to say well he doesn't want another guy from the reed tree or he'll never hire another guy from the reed tree well Eric Bieniemy is a very different animal than Matt Nagy Um, not only in the kind of coach he is, but also the amount of experience, exactly the thing you're talking about. He's called a lot more games, uh, more successfully than Matt Nagy did. Um, so I think that's the right lesson is don't scout the helmet and, you know, figure out that you wanted an offensive guy and you didn't get the offensive guy that you wanted. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have an offensive guy (laughs) just means you should have one that has a little bit more experience and is going to be able to manifest a system, not just a bunch of plays. Um, so yeah, I think lessons is, is very important
1: as we move forward. Uh, next one is assuming that let's take a, let's take a quick break for the commercial and then we'll come back and we will get into the nitty gritty of what we think some of these moves that have to be done and how we rebuild this roster.
3: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: All right, EJ. So the next one that we've got listed there is, let's assume that we've got both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy no longer associated with the Chicago Bears. How do you want to approach this? Do you go with... You know, first option, just an absolute full burn down. You're going to clean out every piece that is movable in terms of trying to trade for any uh, anything that you can get out of some of that. Some of those better players, you're going to cut players where you can uh, to to save on the cap, and you're basically what you're doing is you're trying to take a year of pain and maximize cap space and the number of picks that you have going into 2022. Very much the the Miami Dolphins model from last year, or are you doing more of a selective cleaning, somewhat limited, uh, and trying to you know basically still compete a little bit next year, but Uh, knowing that it's not going to be a Super Bowl team.
2: Yeah, I think you have to go full burn. And the reason is, again, it's not one problem or a few tweaks that's going to make this team better. Uh, They have major salary cap problems, uh, and they're only going to get worse. They do not have answers at some of the most important spots. And by the time they get those, Uh, by the time they get the cap relief they need, by the time they get answers at those spots and those guys are ready to compete at the highest level, many of the players that we consider established right now are gonna be entering the final year of their deal or leaving, could have been injured. So there is a period here that's not looking really good. And it's not, like you said earlier, the Saints have pushed one more year, one more year, one more year, because they have their guy, their hall of famer at quarterback, and they wanna maximize that window this window is done this window is broken and i would say concentrate that pain uh get as many players uh out that you can certainly identify your core that it doesn't make any sense to get rid of um but if somebody's on the line and somebody wants to pay a draft pick for a player even if he is very productive and loved and everything else you have to look at it is, is he going to be good two years from now and still contributing at a high level when we're ready to go again? When we have cap space, we have a young quarterback that has maybe one year of experience or is the top um, rookie choice that we've saved up for, when we can really sort of take another shot at that young quarterback model with uh, you know, a limited, uh, limited salary for a decent cap window where we can put money into other parts of the team and really make a go. And if the answer is, eh, not sure they're still going to be good two years from now, their shelf life's going to be, you know, starting to expire. The answer is get rid of them now. And that's going to be very, very difficult. Um, You talked about the heart and the head. It's going to be some heavy hearted decisions that the bears have to make, but you look at what Miami did and they were even competitive in the second half of last year right they started off with full tank and everybody said they suck and you know they were getting rid of the, getting rid of the guys they traded away minka fitzpatrick right and he's been terrific in pittsburgh great pickup by pittsburgh but you know i'm sure that hurt for dolphins fans he was the number one pick for them uh you know they had a lot of hope for minka fitzpatrick down in south beach and they made the right choice right and by the second half of last year the dolphins were plucky they were beating some teams they shouldn't have and you started to think hey you know these guys get a quarterback and they do they go out and get tua like and some more pieces and you know finish building what they started and these guys are gonna they're gonna be able to contend for a division title and sure enough it looks like if tua learns his lessons and stays healthy that they're right there they add some more pieces this offseason they still have draft picks this year that's going to be a very dangerous team and so it's not you know 10 years in the desert <laughs> you can do this if you do it correctly in three quarters or a full season um uh we've saw it with the raiders it took longer with the raiders because the raiders were in a much bigger salary cap hole um but Reggie McKenzie got them out of that, started building, and they brought in Mike Mayock and, you know, they're contending this year. They're a powerful team. So that's a longer looking rebuild. But um, I think you can compress it, but you have to be ruthless about it. You have to be really rigorous. You have to apply that filter to everything. Is this still going to be an asset 24 months from now? And if it's not, it goes now.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that the window was broken. And our friend Robert Schmitz has talked about how Nick Foles is a mirror. And I've (laughs) joked around on the live stream that that mirror is like pretty cloudy and dirty and cracked. And, you know, a broken mirror is like seven years of bad luck. And so what we want to avoid here (laughs) is compounding these mistakes That were clearly mistakes in the moment that they happen, But compounding these mistakes and having this last for the better part of a decade. And so there's a couple of things that we have to kind of think about. And and I don't know that I know all the answers. And because I really fight this from a fan perspective versus someone who would look at this cold-hearted and ruthless, right? And so I think it's important to balance this idea of of loyalty to players which also is a bit of fan service i think a lot of fans be like oh i only care about wins and it's like yeah but you like these guys and you cheer for these guys certainly that's how i you know approach football is i i get attached to some of these players and i want what's best for them and so this is where that heart versus brain thing comes in and so the the perfect example of this is someone like kyle fuller Kyle Fuller might be the most valuable trade piece that the Chicago Bears have going into next offseason. But he's also incredibly important for what this team does well. They've built this really incredible secondary. Jalen Johnson looks like a really good corner in this league. But he's also really good because he's got Kyle Fuller on the other side. And that is really nice to have regardless of where you're at in the rebuild process. And Kyle Fuller is starting to put together a resume where he might be the second best corner in team history. I'm not sure he could ever eclipse Peanut Tillman, particularly since how much we all love Peanut Tillman. But this is a guy that if he continues to play and plays most of, if not all of his career in Chicago, he's going to be on the all-time Bears teams for best corners. And so as a guy who would consider himself a bit of a Bears historian, I don't want Kyle Fuller to go anywhere. I want Kyle Fuller to get re-signed. That, that, and that's how I think about things from, I can justify that from a football standpoint too. Akeem Hicks is another good example. I don't think you can get quite as much for Akeem Hicks. Incredible player. Great personality. Fan favorite. Can you sell it to a fan base to trade Akeem Hicks for a fourth round pick? because you want to dump his salary? Like, I don't know. Like, and, and to some level, there is a little bit of that that has to go into, look, we still want to have, we still want to be competitive. We still want to keep Khalil Mack happy because Khalil Mack's going to be on this team for, for a while, for sure, at least at a minimum, a couple more years. We still want to keep... Eddie Jackson who's part of our core going forward happy so we want to make sure that we have you know his his playing mates there to some degree but then you also have to make smart decisions to keep your cap healthy and to try to accumulate draft capital to be able to go up and get those quarterbacks right and so the other the question I think that you have to ask yourself and I think you alluded to this but can this player be an important piece in the 2022 to 2024 window that you're going to have with young quarterback that's regardless of if you're drafting that quarterback in the 2021 draft or the 2022 draft you have to kind of think about things forget about next year next year is going to be some level of painful is it going to be entertaining and we can cheer for young guys or maybe at least a solid defense and win some win some games sure that that can happen depending on what, what route they choose to go but they're not going far in 2021 there's going to be a level of pain that has to take place here. So you're looking for 2022 through 2024 to be kind of that next window led by someone that isn't Nick Foles, who's almost certainly going to be on this roster at least the backup next year, if not the guy that's going to start week one under center. And so that is something that you have to keep in mind too when you're evaluating these players is like, is this guy going to be here in a couple of years? So having said all of that, if we're going to start making some obvious decisions, the minimum steps that you're going to take, anybody's going to take, Ryan Pace takes if he stays here, the minimum steps that you're going to take is so you're going to cut Buster screen. He's not playing very well this year. And you've drafted his replacement twice. It's got to be one of those, one of those guys, uh, Kendall Wilder or Duke Shelley, have to step up into that role. You've already drafted his replacement. You have to get out of that Jimmy Graham contract. I think it's a $3 million dead cap, dead cap hit if you cut him next year. That was, a, again, bad decision when you made it, but you drafted Cole Komet. You can go get something for much cheaper than what you have on the books for Jimmy Graham. And The other one I think is you're going to have to let Bobby Massey go, and you're going to replace him with a younger tackle. Those, to me, are the three obvious get him off the books moves that anybody that's in the GM spot, the, the GM chair has to make next year
2: yeah i don't disagree with any of those um and they're not particularly hard ones to do like i like bobby massey and i've been a bobby massey defender but he's not played great um and certainly as the talent around him has dropped off his his weaknesses have been more fully on display Um, screen was incredible last year i think exceeded all of our expectations played really really well hasn't been the case this year. Um and Jimmy Graham, yeah, we we've talked at length about Jimmy Graham. But I I would go further and you know, there are guys that are um, there's a few guys that are untouchable on this roster largely because of their contract structure. Khalil Mack's one of them. You cannot trade Khalil Mack. It's like Minnesota trying to trade Kirk Cousins. They physically can't do it. There isn't enough money. Plus, Khalil Mack's great. And I honestly think a different defensive coordinator could get a lot more out of him. I love Chuck Pagano, but the defensive line has wildly underachieved for the level of talent that it has. So look, Mac's not going anywhere. And you would say the same thing probably about Eddie Goldman. I really like Eddie Goldman. If somebody threw me a decent pick for Eddie Goldman and it wasn't completely cost prohibitive, I'd get him off the roster because you can go get A run stuffing defensive tackle for a lot cheaper now eddie goldman's a great player but they paid him for a little bit of pass rush production that he typically wasn't getting by the time he got his contract he is very solid the team has absolutely missed him this year um but you can get a defensive tackle and it's about what can you get and i would even take a piece for eddie jackson and i know that sounds like heresy um his contract probably i know i know grab your heart but these are the kind of decisions you're going to have to make. And Eddie's played very well from a preventative standpoint. Like people have not thrown at him this year. If you look at the stats of coverage, when he's in the area, people just aren't throwing at him for the most part, which is largely a good choice, but he's got, you know, not a lot of interceptions. He hasn't made a lot of impact plays and he's missed a couple tackles, which has always been part of his resume. Um, prohibitive because they just resigned him yeah it probably is you probably keep him on and again he's a good player the team's not going to be worse with him playing out there i'm not trying to intimate that but you need as much money and as much flexibility as you can have the one where i get stuck is kyle fuller because he's at a premium position he's playing at an ultra high level possibly an all pro level Um, it's a hard position to replace it's an expensive position to replace um and again, he's been playing very, very well. He's a key to that defense. Um, and yeah, he's a valuable trade piece. Uh, but if I'm gonna put money anywhere in those sort of top four or five on defense, I will keep Kyle Fuller. Um, and I might get rid of some other big names. Hicks, I think, has to go. I think you have to find a suitor. Now, hicks we argued was the most valuable player on the defense last year and i think that's right when he's out it doesn't move the same way but he's getting older and again you have to look at it with that filter two years from now is Akeem hicks still going to be dominating guys and he might be but it's going to be for huge money in another uniform and that's not that doesn't make my heart happy i love akeem hicks right i love eddie jackson but you've got to look at every decision and the only one that I really tip on is Kyle Fuller. I'm like, eh, there's a good football reason. It's hard to replace. There's a good financial reason. It's very expensive. Um, Fuller I might keep, but pretty much anybody else you can move. Um, with the exception of the very talented, very young player. Darnell Mooney is the perfect, perfect example. Fifth round player playing at a very high level. Already a starter. Looks like he can continue to ascend. You don't let Darnell Mooney go anywhere you know other guys somebody wants to throw a pick for david montgomery like i like david montgomery i think he can be much more productive in a real offense but if somebody wants to throw you a pick for david montgomery running backs are replaceable you do it you get the pick and you go get three or four undrafted running backs and you find that guy because look we see them every year there's lots of them it's not like quarterback it's not like cornerback Those guys are harder to replace. It's not like edge rusher, quite frankly. You know, those guys come high premium draft picks. Offensive tackle, same thing. Those guys, you don't find great offensive tackles floating out there for cheap or lower in the draft, typically. So there are these premium positions. Running back's not one of them. I like David Montgomery. I think he's a really talented player. I think he's been underutilized. That doesn't mean if somebody goes, hey, I'll give you a fifth rounder for David Montgomery. You're like, fine, I'll take it right because you can replace him for cheap almost nothing and you're gonna have to make those kind of decisions to save up money to get draft picks to make a run at a quarterback to get into the future to get into 2022 and 2023
1: all right let's talk about the idea of quarterback for this team because this has again multiple layers and multiple levels to so think about this because here's 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 how I want to think about this. Bears are gonna finish this year at whatever record. If they finish five and eleven and they're the ninth pick, you know, they might be in a position here to sit there and take one of these top quarterbacks you know trevor lawrence is going to be off the board at number one you've got probably justin fields going to come off the board to the jaguars at number two or you know however they you know who knows the jets might win a couple games i really doubt that but whatever you know those two teams are going to take a quarterback and they're going to be in the top of the draft okay fine you've got the kid from byu wilson that's a lot of people are liking and then you've got trey lance those are kind of the consensus top four at this point, from what I've read, and then there are a couple of other guys, uh, Mac Jones and, and Kyle Trask. These are all names that Bears fans are going to become familiar with if they aren't already. That's kind of the universe as as I have soaked it in. What I see is, where's the line? Where's the line where you say this is the guy that we can take, that we can build around, that we believe has the tools to build around? Or eh, I don't know, maybe. And I don't want to. Eh, I don't know, maybe, guy. I want to. Yeah, no, we can do this. I don't want to just waste a first round pick on a. Eh, it might work out, guy. I want one of those guys. I don't know where that line is, and that's where I think that all of the work in the off season that you're going to put in, that you know Jacob Infante is going to put in, all of you scouts are going to put in. I want you guys to find where that line is. And if the Bears are able to get a guy that's above that line, either because it falls to them or they can package something up reasonable to go get their guy, then let's do it. If not, offensive line, build the nest, and build out your quarterback room in a different way. Maybe you get lucky, but set yourself up for the 2022 draft and build the capital into that draft to be able to go get that guy yeah
2: i like a lot of the things you said there and i'm going to break your world a little bit and the bottom line is in this particular league at this position there's not a line the line is you get a quarterback that works not the one you thought was going to work not the one that was your guy not whatever the bottom line is you get that guy on the field and He looks like Justin Herbert or you get that guy on the field and he looks like Joey Burrow, right? And those are really high picks and the Bears aren't going to have one of those this year. But there are other guys that have, you know, Drew Brees was a second round pick, right? And he looked pretty good for the Chargers before he got hurt and ended up with Saints. But there is no line. So you take as many shots as you have to, and I'm with you. You don't waste a first round pick on a guy that you're pretty sure isn't the guy or really has a sort of very crooked or long path to being the guy. You don't do that. You go get something that's much more assured, like an offensive tackle. And the bottom line is this is going to be determined by how many games the Bears win. If the Bears win just a few more games, they're going to drop precipitously in the draft and they are not going to have a shot at one of those guys without trading up and they should not trade up this year. They just shouldn't do it. Um where's the line? If you're at, you know, ninth and you have a shot, now it's it's not likely um that Wilson's gonna drop, but Trey Lance could. And if you believe that Trey Lance is a guy you can work with, you spend the ninth pick on him because you're not sure when you're gonna have the ninth pick again. And if Trey Lance doesn't work out, guess what you do with your high pick next year? (laughs) You get another one, right? You get, you go all in with quarterback. This is the thing. There's no line. There's not one guy that you sell on. And then you don't bring in any other competition for three years. And that's the, that model doesn't work. If that guy comes in and he's not the guy, the guy, you're not sure he doesn't accelerate the way you want him to, you got to get another guy. And you can't wait three years anymore. Three years is a head coach lifespan. That used to be like an offensive coordinator lifespan or a first round draft pick quarterback lifespan. Lifespan for that is a year now. People are talking about playing to it in the second half of the year to make sure he's real or they're going to have to use the high pick next year to go get another one. Because people understand that if you don't have a high level functioning quarterback in the NFL, you're not going to win on a consistent basis. Period. Stop. End of story. So if you're at nine and Lance drops because he only played one game in 2020, not his fault, uh, you know, and you weren't sure about his tape, it was a little more developmental than maybe your taste runs. Great. If you don't like him, I'm with you. Go get an offensive tackle, build that line, make it good for everybody. Take another shot. Take this hybrid approach in 2021 where you just shake the tree because again you you need to take every shot you can get so you go for low rent trades maybe you go get Rosen or Darnold you pilfer practice squads you go after guys like Tyler Huntley who looked like he was going to get some snaps tonight for the Ravens but didn't came out of Utah last year you take low round flyers in the draft not those guys like kyle trask who are probably going to go in the second round forget that you're using that second round pick on something else or you're trading down to get more picks to build that interior offensive line you go grab that guy like a cole mcdonald in the fifth or the sixth hell call cole mcdonald right the titans cut him who knows maybe he just didn't like mike vrabel you bring him in you bring all those guys in you remember what they did with kicker a couple of years ago they had like seven guys lined up You do that with quarterback and I don't care if you do it every week and you have a rotating basis, you preach competition, you don't promise playing time and you scrape every cupboard. You shake every tree. Didn't work out in another system. Don't care. Come talk to our new head coach. Who's an offensive guy. See if you light his fire. See if we've got a spot for you on the practice squad. You get as many options as you can until you get a guy that can function. And if you spend all of 2021 rotating those guys through and starting different guys, I don't care like maybe you find something in the rubble pile if not you get a draft pick and you go up high and you get that guy because you got the offensive tackle right but you don't reach in the first round you don't trade up if you're in a shot if you lose enough games this year and you're like you said maybe ninth in the draft and you like trey lance and you think his tools are there and your new offensive minded head coach thinks that's a good call do it if it doesn't work out do it again next year
1: it's an interesting conversation because what's the, what are where have we seen it? It's the Arizona Cardinals. Yep, who drafted Josh Rosen? Mm-hmm. Gave him a little bit of runway, not a lot, a little bit of runway, enough to show eh, you know he he wasn't showing a lot. They had a bad year. They had the first overall pick. They hired a new coach who said that well, oh, if he had the number one pick, he'd take Kyler Murray. And then Steve Kim said, ah, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then he said, well, let me put on the tape. Hmm. Well, this guy's pretty interesting. Well, hold on. Maybe we will do <laughs> right? Yep. And so it it has happened, but it, it certainly isn't the norm. And a lot of times you go, you're going to give a guy a couple of years to try to figure it out or to show improvement and And I think one of the dangerous things that all of us do is that you get a data point, you get another data point, and then you draw a line that connects those two data points, and you keep drawing that line, and you project that player's Mm -hmm. development. And you say, well, that player's going to be this good next year, and by year four, this guy's going to be one of the best in the league, because he started here... And it looks like he's here now, and so he's going to just keep going. And if that sounds like Mitchell Trubisky to any of you out there, because he started from, what is this guy? He doesn't do anything uh, in the John Fox (laughs) system, to, wow, this guy really looks a lot better with Matt Nagy uh, as his offensive play caller, to, wow, this guy is just completely exposed. And that is not meeting our expectations. Well, what, what was our expectations? We drew that line between those data points mm-hmm. and kept going, and said this guy's just going to keep getting better. So that took time to reveal itself. As much as I didn't love the pick to begin with, it took time to fully reveal itself that Mitchell Trubisky wasn't the guy. And so you know, you're saying like, yeah, you just keep doing it. I do think that there's a little bit of dissonance in that in that argument because it's happened before. We have we have a model. But there's also a lot more examples of a couple of years, three years before they say, "Okay, we got to give up on this guy, and we got to go." So yeah. we'll, see. we'll see. Yeah, yeah. That.
2: so give me the give me the last great Bears quarterback in the last twenty years that they brought into their system, you know, uh, by drafting him or as a UDFA.
1: Well, I don't, I think they've only drafted in the first round. Rex Grossman. I I don't care and... in the first round. I don't care where you get him. Like, oh, outside what, of a what, trade, why are of we trade, using Chicago Bears and quarterbacks to talk about anything? Trent, here's that's the thing. Not what Chicago
2: do. Bears don't have a quarterback right now. They haven't had one for a long time. They have zero track record as an organization, regardless of who is in charge of developing a quarterback. And the reality of the NFL is you need one to win and he's got to be average or better right? Better than average is good. means you'll win more games, right? That's the Jimmys and Joes, the the idea that, you know, outside of structure, he's going to roll out. He's going to, you know, you saw Justin Herbert do it, like Justin <laughs> Herbert on the failed Hail Mary at the end of the game. Like he escaped the grasp. He was basically sacked, twisted out of it, and then throws like a, you know, whatever it was, 50, 70 yard ball in the air. Like, That's something that only a really talented guy can do. So the more talent you can get in your quarterback, the better, you know, you're going to pick up some extra wins, but the bears need to keep swinging on this. They cannot take a patient approach. They need to be the opposite of patient. And that means as many players and as much competition as they can until they find something that's serviceable. And I don't mean serviceable in the thirties, right? You cannot be 30th or 31st or 32nd you've got to be 15th or 16th or better and they don't have that guy they have no track record of developing that guy they have got to go find that guy made him with a head coach and until that happens they need to keep swinging and they can't go well three years from now we might right if it didn't work again you beat the bushes you turn the roster you get as many swings as you can because this whole, like, we're, we took one swing and we're not taking another swing for three years because we, we spent those draft picks and we we just got to sit and see if it works, right? And it didn't work, and here we are. There's still no answer on the roster. And the Bears discouraged competition because they wanted to, quote-unquote, protect Mitchell Trubisky, and where's it gotten them? You know, they have no answers and they're in big trouble.
1: So, I... I mean, the way that you're arguing this, because I want to keep kind of exploring this, just probing this just a little bit, because the way you're arguing this, you know, part of what you're saying is like, well, yeah, of course I agree with what you're saying. You you have to like get the guy. But you also, there's an evaluation process and that takes time. And so obviously, if you take the guy and he just looks like an absolute dud, then sure, you go back and you, you make that decision, particularly if you have the draft capital. But if, it does take time or he shows enough early on that you say, yeah, he's showing enough for me early. Like what is that window? Because it kind of sounds like you're saying, well, you just take one every year in the first round until you're sure. No, you got if he it. shows you it-
2: enough, I, I absolutely agree. If he shows you enough, like he makes progress, makes plays and wins some of those games. Right. And it's not the QB wins or a stat. They're not right. But you look at, like, Joe Burrow, right? Joe Burrow didn't win a ton of games before his injury. But is Joe Burrow the future of the Bengals?
1: Uh, well, yeah, absolutely. He totally Joe is. Burrow looks great. Yeah, he
2: totally of is, right? So if you get those signs, this guy's progressing and looks like he, again, can be midline or better in this league, that he is not going to be bouncing off the bottom, that's the thing is you have to have a shorter leash. If this guy's at 25th this year in his first year, don't go well, even if you're drawing those dots and I'm with you, that it's a very important point. You said earlier, you know, you draw dots between those two points and you make a line. Progression is not linear. Guys go up and down. Trubisky certainly looked like he had an increasing curve right up to double doink. And then it went the other way hard. Progression is not linear. And that's a very important point. Guys go up and down. Um, but if you've got a guy and he's 25th or 28th in the league and you're like well he's he's gonna be better right two years from now he's gonna be like 20th so what you're gonna be fired by then
1: right let me call this a little bit more go ahead so so put yourself back after the mitchell trubisky selection Mm -hmm. and his rookie year did you feel like I, i mean he didn't play well at all his rookie year no. Did you feel like he, there was enough there where you're like, well, that's fine, we'll go into the next year, or did you think, hey, instead of Roquan Smith, we're gonna draft a quarterback here because you're up uh, that high?
2: I didn't because of John Fox. It was, and it's come out since then. I didn't know it at the time, but Fox did not want Trubisky. Fox right. and his staff wanted Watson. They got what they didn't want. And as a result, they said, go in there and don't do anything, rookie. It was very clear that they were handcuffing Mitchell Trubisky from an offensive standpoint. Right? They were not, not only were they not asking him to do a lot, they were telling him not to do a lot. And that's, that's not a fair thing right? Whereas if you have an offensive-minded head coach, which is what we've said we want to replace Matt Nagy, and, and he has a hand in that selection, he gets a guy he wants and uses him and pushes him and tries to develop him in a, in a proactive way, which I never felt like Fox was using Trubisky that way. I thought it was fairly clear watching the games that he was saying, eh, this is as far as you can go. This is your envelope. Do not go any farther. And maybe that was Dalla Loggins, maybe that was John Fox, it didn't matter. The, the entire setup was was not ideal. And we saw the opposite when Matt Nagy came in his first year. He was very excited about Trubisky. That was a great story of Matt Nagy coming to the Bears, right, that he had eyes for Mitchell Trubisky even when he was with the Chiefs and he liked the kid. Um, they had a good relationship from the pre-draft process. And he was excited. He's like, no, I'm going to open up the playbook. And, and, you know, we saw a very different Mitchell Trubisky. So Fox was probably the variable in in that particular argument for Trubisky's year one okay. because no Trubisky's year one did not show enough if you were if you thought that Fox and Loggins were progressively offensive-minded coaches and that's all Trubisky did in year one no I absolutely would have drafted another quarterback the next year but I never felt like that
1: okay all right it's an interesting conversation I don't think we've ever covered this specific ground and I certainly don't want it to seem like I'm saying I disagree with the sentiment of you got to keep going until you get your guy. But I also want to make sure that we're being clear that, you know, there are evaluation periods and sometimes you can tell right away if the guy has it or not. And then there's sometimes where it's like, eh, yeah, he's shown enough and you expect growth to be made in the next couple of years, particularly if you get a guy that's maybe not as polished. So a guy like Deshaun Watson who comes in and is, you know, pretty much a, you know, has things to work on. Certainly in the transition from college to pro but is pretty polished in terms of being able to come in play at a high level early on um that's something that you're going to tell right away if he's going to sink or swim so all right well that's a lot of talk about some of the specifics do you have anything else before we get to a couple of your bonus
2: questions oh bonus questions um i don't think so the idea of competition in general for this roster is going to be really important no matter what they do at the top, how much house cleaning they do, how many players they move. The idea, and I harp on this because I've seen it in action with Pete Carroll and John Schneider in Seattle, It is competition at every spot every day, right? And if you play better, we're going to give you the chance. At one point, greater than 50% of their roster was made up of UDFAs, which is tremendous, right? And Seattle was very successful during that period. And it was because they preached this from day one. We don't care how you got here. You're in the building, you're competing. You've got a shot and guys buy into that, right? If you build that culture and the bears are going to have to be a little bit non-traditional in where they get some talent for a while. Cause again, they're not flush with cap space. They can't just go out and buy it. They're not flush with draft picks. They have most of their draft picks this year. Um, you know but uh depending on how they finish out they might not be very high draft picks so they're gonna have to get creative about how they get these guys and how they maximize that talent right and that means a lot of roster churn you're gonna you're gonna churn the practice squad and the bottom of the roster pretty often um seattle led the league in transactions i think they made 800 transactions in the first two years of john schneider and pete carroll um so, you know, you're going to have to be aggressive in finding and allowing players to excel. And if you get some, you know, fifth round rookie from Tulsa Ag and Tech, <laughs> he doesn't have the same pedigree as that, you know, second round corner and he's out playing them. Guess what? He starts. Um, and that's powerful stuff. That's true meritocracy. And the Bears are going to have to adopt some of that. Um, they can't be beholden to to draft pick or pedigree or anything else. They have to be Are you doing the job in our system? And if you're not, you're not going to play a lot and you're probably going to move on. Um, And if they establish that, they can be successful in a shorter period of time than if they go the sort of more traditional route.
1: All right, let's get to your bonus round. And this eh, this is if the Bears clean house and if they call up EJ or if they call up JB and they say, what do you like? Where should we look? And McCaskey's, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, feel free to DM me on Twitter, and you know, I'll get you my cell phone number, and, and we'll have a chat, and we'll, we'll a make small it happen. consulting fee. We a, are a small available. Consulting fee. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, negotiable. Um, you could probably buy me off with just uh, you know some you know, a small, a small honorarium and maybe some merchandise or maybe some, maybe some relics that you have lying around, uh, you know, I, I, am oh, not, not going to be
2: it. making GM consultations for like a set of commemorative bears, whiskey glasses. Is that what's I mean, going to happen I'm just,
1: here? Well, I mean, like if you told me like, Hey, these were George Hallis's uh, oh, whiskey glasses. Oh, oh, yeah, history. Yeah, yep. absolutely. No, I'm man. in, right? The, yeah. The I'll, history I'll... flavor. I forgot.
2: No, that would, that would be a fine approach. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I loved your, I, I sent you this, like you said in the Google doc and, and um, no, we're not sponsored by Google docs, but Hey, if, if Google's listening, you know, we're, we're open to it. Um, no fave GM candidate and fave coach candidate. And this was a little bit of a trick question and I loved your answer. And your answer was, I, I'm not really looking at guys necessarily. I'm looking at organizations that have built their rosters in a way I respect, rather than having a knowledge of individual names and that my friend is the right answer right it's not about a guy it's about a a guy or a gal we saw a first gm in major sports right tampa bay um hired a gal to be their GM. congratulations to her well earned well overdue um but it's about finding that culture and when we get down to culture the point that I picked out of that statement, which I think is absolutely true as most important is the handshake between the coaching staff and the front office being in lockstep about what kind of team are we going to be right? And not, Oh, we're going to get off the bus, running the ball not that kind of baloney, much more nuanced than that right we are a team that is going to pay our interior offensive line and we're going to find our exterior offensive line somewhere else we are a team that's going to play heavy zone on defense and we're not going to pay top dollar for free agency corners you know we're going to rotate through lesser known corners that have the qualities we want because that's not where we're going to spend our money We're going to concentrate it on this. We're going to go with the young quarterback model or no, we are going to get an established starter in free agency. We are going to pay top dollar and then we're going to go scrape the bottom of the barrel for wide receivers who we think are talented. And again, fit a particular role in our offense, right? That kind of understanding. And again, teams that do that really, really well right now, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, Seattle, we've talked about, San Francisco is starting to get there. You can see it in San Francisco's personnel decisions. They had a running back kind of put his stake in the ground in the offseason and say, you need to pay me. And they were like, uh-uh. no, we absolutely don't. They got two undrafted free agents who I thought fit their system perfectly. One of them ended up playing this year. Um, Jamichael hasty got some significant playing time. They paid nothing for Jamichael hasty. He is at the lowest possible contract in the league. They paid no draft capital and he was functional in their offense because they understand you have one or two qualities that work really well with our system. Come on down. And by the way, we're going to get three others. If you don't work, we're going to cycle through until we find the one that does again, all low cost options that's the way you build a team and yeah you reward your stars you know they paid george kittle handsomely because george kittle is literally the best tight end in the national football league when he's healthy they recognize that they reward that players understand that but they also understand if you don't do your role they're going to go find somebody else because of that competition model and that low-cost labor model but they understand what they need, what they have to pay for. And when one of their sort of more established stars, you saw it in the offseason, they traded away DeForest Buckner, right? They kept Eric Armstead. They were like, nope. And they went and they drafted, uh, oh, and I'm going to blank on his name, Javon Kinlaw, who had the pick six this weekend, right? We saw him in the senior bowl. That was their low cost replacement, DeForest Buckner. They get a pick from Indy, like that's team building right and they're very good at it. So that understanding you get somebody from one of those organizations that gets it and then the coach has to buy in as well. The coach can't come in and say, "Well, I want X" and the front office is saying, "Well, we're going to get you Y because philosophically that's what we think." No, it has to be X and X. They have to agree. Um And be in lockstep. You see in Pittsburgh all the time with Mike Tomlin, right? He is not going against their GM. He is going with their GM. And they continue to stay competitive every year. You know they're going to win their division. They have coaching stability. They have player development stability. Like It all stems from that unison between the coaching staff and the front office. Understanding what kind of team are we and what does it take to be that team and how do we get that talent
1: yeah it was 2017 i think that the bears played the niners and i it was late in the year and i had talked to um the the niners site to do a five questions and, and in our exchange i was like very complimentary of what they did to go out and and be able to get kyle shanahan and pair him with john lynch and say like you guys are in this together this is we're bringing you both in at the same time. You know, John Lynch, you are not the boss of Kyle Shanahan and, and vice versa. You guys are in this together. You're signing identical length contracts. Your futures are are tied to each other. And I really like that model. I got killed for it on the bear side of the site because you know people thought that well you know, Niners are terrible and they're a terrible run organization. I'm like, nah, this is <laughs> smart though. Nah. They've they 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 were in a tailspin. They kept going through coaches. They had Chip Kelly for a year. Uh, they had that defensive line coach that was Jim randomly... Tamsula. Yeah, T- yeah, Sula was the head coach. You know, like yeah, that they were in a they were in a tailspin. They they had friction between their GM and Jim Harbaugh, and and it sent them, it sent that organization into you know crashing and burning. But they were able to identify the problem, and they secured a top notch offensive mind and paired him with a general manager that got along with him. they said, you guys are tied together. And I loved it. I love Kyle Shanahan. I love the way he calls games. And I think that if you're honest with yourself as a Bears fan, from what you've grown up watching and liking running game and good defense and all that kind of stuff, you probably like Kyle Shanahan too. Because he understands how to operate a really good running game, play action off of that. He's an incredibly creative play caller. And so that kind of system is really appealing to me. But this partnership between gm and head coach is really interesting i also like the team building in tennessee i've been on them for a couple years i do like what chris ballard's done with the colts that is doubly hurtful because he was the leader in the clubhouse for the bears job when they hired ryan pace obviously they're not going to get chris ballard but you look for people from those organizations that are going to bring those values over i think the most important thing for me, would be getting those two people in at the same time, connecting them together. I think where this might be going, one of those paths has a new GM this year, keeping Nagy and then allowing that guy to hire another guy and keeping a hierarchical – hierarchical man, I, I'm done with this beer and I can't pronounce words anymore. <laughs> You're close. But, <laughs> But, uh, you know, where you have this this more traditional structure where one guy reports to another. And I, I think that's wrong in the in the modern NFL. I think they have to work together. And so I'd like to see if they move on from pace that they're going in that direction. Your second bonus question is about favorite coach candidate right now. And I, you've already talked about Eric Bieniemy, and I know you like him. I know that you've talked about Joe Brady. I'm interested to hear your answer. But my answer right now is I am very interested in this Arthur Smith guy, and he's kind of come out of nowhere. But what he has done in Tennessee with Ryan Tannehill, with that running game with Derrick Henry, everybody's like, Well, he has Derrick Henry. Well, look at Derrick Henry's stats over his first few years. They weren't that impressive. He has committed to the players that he has on his offense, I and mean, he has brought Corey Davis into some relevancy. He's made, you know, he's put AJ Brown in a position to succeed. Nice to have a guy like AJ Brown. But again, he has called a he's called really beautiful games. If you watch Tennessee, when when they're rolling, he is just he is a master right now at calling a really good game because everything works together. The running game, the play action, the passing game, everything works together. And so for right now, if you if you had to say, Jeff, who you want to bring in? It's Arthur Smith, offensive coordinator for the Titans. Yeah, I can't argue with Arthur
2: Smith because uh, he's gotten better at it, and everybody says, oh, yeah, you know Derrick Henry. They have Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is an amazing athlete, but he was, um, you know, and I'm going to get crushed for this, but he had his limitations as a runner. Even into early this year, if you could get Derrick Henry turned laterally, he was not going to have a great day. If you've watched him over the last two weeks, he's figured it out. Last week, they got him turned laterally, and he still made yards. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That was the card, right? That was the one thing you could do against Derrick Henry. Well, Derrick Henry figured out that that was the one thing you could do against him, and he's figured out how to hold momentum laterally. He did it again this week. He had another huge game, put the game away, right? And Derrick Henry has gotten better. That is the sign of a coaching staff that understands its players and is helping them progress. And it's been so long since Bears fans have seen that on the offensive side of the ball in a real and sort of true way. You see players come in and they don't really get like a lot better. You don't see that fourth or fifth round rookie come in and suddenly, you know, you could say Darnell Mooney's done that this year under Mike Furry. Um, but it's it. other than that, it's tough to tell. And that might just be Mooney, right? There are those guys right. that are extremely self-motivated. Um, I think for, he's a good coach. I'm not saying he's not, um, but in general, you don't see that on the offensive side of the ball for the bears. Certainly not with quarterback, um, eh, running back sort of like eh, Cordell Patterson's gotten a little bit better this year at, at patients and pushing the, pushing the blocks and, and doing things that running backs do. But like offensive line, there's just been so much upheaval over the last couple of years that. You just don't see that sort of progression and teams, a lot of these teams that we talked about, Tennessee is another one. You see guys come in and even if they're really good, like Derrick Henry, they're getting better right? And that means they're working with their coaches. They're understanding what they can do well and what they can't. And so I, I think Arthur Smith is a really good name. Brady has had two incredibly successful years in a row, came from LSU. He was Joe Burrow's offensive coordinator there. And he moves over to the Panthers and, you know, um, inherits Teddy as a quarterback. And, you know, Robbie Anderson is a cast off from the jets. And even without Christian McCaffrey, And if you'd said that before the season, hey, wait, let me tell you, the Panthers offense is actually a highly functioning unit and really dangerous. Without Christian McCaffrey, you would have been like, yeah, get out of here, right? But they completely are. Um, He's getting... Um, improve, you know, Curtis Samuels, a perfect example, old coaching staff had no idea what to do with Curtis Samuel. Joe Brady comes in, Curtis Samuels having a really good year, had another huge catch to move him out to midfield at the end of the game, uh, this last week. So you see progression from players that people like, ah, they missed on Samuel, right? He's not that good. Well, nope. New coaching staff comes in, understands, has been in the college ranks recently and says, no, you're perfect. We'd love to use you as a dual threat and figures out how to do it. The Bears really need that because they're gonna need the talent that they get by hook and by crook to be maximized.
1: Yeah, just one final thing about Derrick Henry. I he reminds me of Bowser in Mario Kart, where <laughs> yeah. He, he yeah starts no, I off see it. like you know like uh, kind of slow, but like top in, like he's just blowing past people, and he's obviously the big factor, right? And and but if you go off if you're using Bowser and you go off course and you get kind of like, you know, you get off in the rumble strips off to the side, you know, it's, it's like, oh man, it's going to take so much longer for him to get built back up. And that like you're saying, that was kind of the book on him was to 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 get him off his mark and to get him to kind of move laterally so that he couldn't use build up that momentum. And and you know, if he figures out how to do that, then he's going to become the best back in the game if he's not already. Um because he he can just take over games and he just He's this old school guy that just like wears people down. But again, he wasn't doing that early in his career. Yeah, he wasn't having
2: that kind of success at all. Did you catch the stat last week that uh, it was Robert Mays, one of your favorites on the Athletic Football Podcast, and he brought up the stat, uh, Tice was his co-host for the week, and he brought up the stat last week that Derrick Henry is averaging 7.1 yards a carry in the fourth quarter and OT yeah right and i was like wow uh wow like when it matters when the games on the line derrick henry's averaging over seven yards a touch right and it's that's just that's insanity
1: like that's nuts yeah he's a closer he's fun he's interesting if nothing else bears fans you've got game pass or you've got an ability to watch some other games start looking at some of these hot coordinator names and watching some of the games and figuring out you know who it is that you think you might want and i think the titans are incredibly entertaining anyway so uh, they're a fun team to watch i really think that they're 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 this it's a type of offense that bears fans could get behind so that's my pick you want to talk about these beers? And get out of here!
2: Yeah, I do. Uh, very much so. Mostly because my beer is done, and I kind of want another one at this point because it hasn't been the most hopeful of podcasts. But there's a lot of there's a lot of fun to look forward to. Bears. It's not all doom and gloom, right? Watching young guys develop. If you get a coaching staff like that, I realize that we haven't had one in in quite a while it's a lot of fun to see guys come in and blossom, especially less heralded guys. So uh, speaking of less heralded, well, Founders is pretty heralded. How was your heralded
1: beer? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it says on the back that it is a decadent dessert beer and it is hard to argue with that. I mean, first sip was like, oh, this is, this is pretty sweet. I don't know that I'm <laughs> going to be able to do this. But uh, it... It was very enjoyable, and again, it's—I don't even know that I probably could have a second one, but I can see how a lot of people would be like, I couldn't even—I'd have to split it because it does have a certain level of sweetness to it. But I really like raspberry, really like chocolate. Obviously, those two work together quite well, and it really works in a in a beer like this. uh, It's—they do stouts very well. It's. Again, it's a dessert beer. You really could pour it over ice cream, I think, and, and it would fit just fine because it's it's that kind of decadent. <laughs> but um, it's, it was enjoyable. What about yours?
2: Um, I really like this beer, and uh, it it's interesting. Temperature is really important. We don't talk about this very much on podcasts. We talk about flavor and style and tenor and how it's brewed. But with stouts like this, especially the last one I drank of these um, – it was on a podcast, was a couple of months ago, and I think I'd had it sort of in the bottom of the fridge, and it was pretty cold, and I drank it pretty quickly after bringing it out of the fridge, and tonight um, I grabbed it a little bit before, and then we talked a little bit before the podcast, and it had a chance to warm up just a bit, and it certainly wasn't warm, but it wasn't freezing cold either, and a lot more of the subtle flavor of the, especially the caramel piece. Vanilla I tasted a little bit last time, but the caramel piece especially came out much more fully, with a little bit more warmth in the flavor, which is you know not surprising. If you warm food up, the flavors come out, right? That's why we throw stuff in frying pans. Um, but no, really good beer, very very drinkable. Not super heavy on the alcohol. at Six and a half. Like I don't think I'm gonna go have another one of these necessarily, uh, but you know I certainly could if I needed to. Uh, yeah, Boothbay Craft Brewery out of Boothbay, Maine great stuff if you can ever get your hands on it really well balanced beer really good example of a porter um yeah love their stuff so all right you got anything else coming up this week or you just playing out the string with the bears
1: well definitely that but also starting to think about off-season projects and i obviously have got a couple in mind uh (laughs) including a very big one that we'll kind of keep under wraps for a while. But if you guys have any ideas uh, or anything, you know, feel free to shoot those over because we're always looking for good deep dives in the offseason. Obviously, we'll we'll talk about you know any changes and look a little bit more into coaches and stuff like that if the Bears do choose that and go that direction. Obviously, EJ's going to dive deep into the draft. But if there's other projects, statistics stuff, or anything like that where – where you get away from the weekly grind of the season where you you know basically we're we're just trying to keep our heads above water and grind out the weekly articles uh, if there are projects like that, that you have a good idea, but you don't want to do the research, you want somebody else to write it up, you know, let me know. I'm, I'm always looking for good ideas. So uh, feel free to shoot, shoot, shoot some ideas my way.
2: Yeah, what JB's saying is he's available, uh, and he's very good at it too. So, yeah, feel free to float ideas our way. As always, I'm on the Bootleg Football Podcast with Brett Coleman weekly doing a recap of all the games from the NFL. We, too, are going to shift away from that format a little bit on that podcast and start to move into a little bit more draft prep. Uh, Because the Senior Bowl is uh, staggeringly only about seven weeks away. Uh, Almost 100 players have gotten invites already. So here it comes, folks. Going to be a strange, wild ride for draft season, especially with the college football season that we have seen and not seen. But uh, it'll be interesting for sure. and We'll keep you up to date on all that. But Until then, thanks so much for listening. We know this one went a little bit long and maybe wasn't the uh, bright rainbows and sunshine you were looking for, but we hope to be the the real take about uh, where we think the bears need to go and what they need to do to get there. So thanks for listening and until next week, bear down.